Hello, everyone, and welcome here to another episode of the Hens Half Court Podcast with the sports staff here at The Review. Connor Metz, Joe Edelin, and myself, as always, Pat Laporte, holding it down, talking Delaware women's basketball and some men's basketball collegiate action as a whole. We'll get to that later. We're going to be talking a lot of Delaware women's basketball. Their CAA tournament ended yesterday, that being Saturday, against Drexel. But before we get into that real quick, I have to ask, as always, guys, it's good to see you again. How you guys doing? Hanging in there, uh, as you said it, man, I feel like we say it every week, but uh, I feel like especially this, this last stretch of a couple of weeks with the tournaments and football starting, it's definitely been crazy. And I feel like every weekend kind of outdoes the last in terms of uh, craziness, but uh, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, it's been a wild weekend. There's tons of, tons of sports events going on at Delaware and the tourney and football and everything. So it's, it's crazy, but um, it's the same time of year with March Madness and then all the sports going on at UD. And kind of touched on it briefly there. UD had a wild weekend of sports on Saturday. Women's basketball was in the CAA tournament. You had football playing at home, and there was a bunch of other sports as well. I know baseball was one of them. Uh, lacrosse was another. So big action at, on as a whole for Delaware sports. But we're here to talk Delaware women's basketball to start. As I said, the Blue Hens were in the CAA tournament over the weekend down in Elon, North Carolina. And they came up just a little short on the weekend to make the NC or to win the CAA championship. They fall to Drexel in the CAA title game, 63 to 52. But before we get into that real quick, I want to look, take a look back, just how they got there briefly in round one, they played UNCW. UNCW was the nine seed heading in and UNCW, the score doesn't really look like it, but gave them a good fight throughout about three quarters of that one, that game. I know Carolina Busick, Scored 18 points for the Seahawks, led them in that scoring category. And at one point, Delaware was down by six in the third quarter. Delaware, though, does have a very strong fourth quarter. They win 70-52 to 52 in the first round. They hit to the semifinals in the next game to take on Hofstra. The big story being Hofstra knocking off Towson in the first round of the tournament to play Delaware. Delaware really played, outplayed Towson, or Hofstra, as a whole. Delaware beats Hofstra 60-39. to And that brings us, though, here to the championship game, as I just mentioned. Delaware falls to Drexel 63-52 to in the CAA championship game. It is Drexel's first appearance and will be their first automatic NCAA tournament bid since 2009. But we're going to talk about some Delaware just our thoughts and our reactions to the championships as a whole, but in particular, this Drexel game, I want to ask you guys to start. I mean, what were you guys seeing in the Drexel game? And kind of let's, we, I just want to dive into that right now and what we saw, especially the differences in the first and the second half of, of the uh, CAA championship. Yeah. I just felt like this, this tournament as a whole, not just this championship matchup, but each game for Delaware, maybe not so much the Hofstra game, but it just felt like the, the tale of, of these two Delaware teams where, they come out and they're clicking on all cylinders and they look really good and they're just killing you on the boards, which they kind of do to everyone anyway. But the shooting struggles, man, they just just killed them this weekend. Not, I mean, there was moments in the UNCW game where honestly I was like, I think UNCW might pull this off because they were just playing hard and Delaware could not get anything to, to fall. I mean, in particular, Jasmine Dickey was really struggling from the field uh, in, in that first game and just this whole tournament in general. Um, I mean, luckily for the Blue Hens, she was still able to make an impact other areas, but I mean, I just felt like the shooting was just the, just, just really held them back this weekend. And I mean, obviously it ended up costing them in the Drexel game. Um, I was a little surprised that Keyshawn and Washington went off the way she did. Um, I know when Drexel visited the Bob couple, like a month ago, uh, it was Hannah Nihill that dropped like 30, but this time it's Keyshawn and Washington. And I just feel like, you know, basketball is a game of runs and you got to be able in these tough tournament games, you got to be able to stop 
a run if a team is, is going on a run like that and vice versa. You, you have to get some sort of uh, efficient scoring. Like it can't, I, I just felt like so, there were so many possessions for, for Delaware uh, that it was just missed shots, offensive rebound, and, and you're still missing the, you know, the opportunity for second chance points. And that's just really killer. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like the shooting struggles ended up, you know, coming back to haunt them in this one. But, you know, if you're the blue hens, I think you just got to hope that, you know, you, you somehow get in, get an at large bid and get into the tournament, you know, the big tournament. Yeah, I agree, Joe. I think they just shot themselves out of the game versus Drexel. They just could not shoot enough and Drexel was shooting well and Drexel played really well offensively in the second half. Um, they were so streaky. Like I think they ended the first half Delaware did 13 to 0 run. So they took a big lead into halftime and they came out and they laid a goose egg on the offensive end. Tons of turnovers, tons of missed shots, not not so great shots, not getting in the paint. Um, I definitely think like overall they really missed the mark with getting Ty Battle involved offensively. I feel like her only involvement was getting a rebound and getting a lay in. And I, I really think that they could have used her in the post more on design plays because they just they couldn't shoot from the mid range or the three point line. They just really, really struggled across the board, the starters and the bench. So I think the lack of paint opportunity really killed them, given that they were shooting so poorly. And the shooting is something that I wanted to touch on real quick. I mean, the Drexel game, the second half, the, the title game was rough. I mean, they shot 6% in the third quarter, 23% in the fourth. That first half, though, they shot they shot decent OL. They shot 43% in the first quarter. That second quarter, they had that 13-0 run, 2-0 run that Connor talked about to uh, get give themselves a nine-point lead going into halftime. They shot 46% in the second quarter. But, you know, even in those first two games, I mean, in the UNCW game, Delaware really struggled in the first and the third quarter to score the basketball. They shot 22% in the first quarter of that game. They shot 26% in the third quarter of the UNCW game. And we saw in both those quarters, I mean, UNCW really kept up with Delaware just on the scoreboard just because Delaware not be, was not able to make the, her, their shots. And then even with Hofstra, I mean, Delaware out, just outplayed Hofstra in the semifinals. But still, 35%, 33 33 and 25%, that just kind of shows you just how – just how much this team kind of struggled to just score the basketball, you know, just in an inopportune time of the year to do so. And about the Drexel game, too, and I want to get, get your guys' thoughts on this. It just seemed like Drexel's defense was really just, in the second half especially, was just hounding Delaware offensively. They were clogging passing lanes. They weren't allowing Delaware to get down low with Ty Battle, with Lizzie O'Leary, even with Jasmine Dickey. I mean, you, you got to give credit to Drexel with how they played defensively to really limit uh, part of Delaware's offense that, once they would move up the court, you know, they play that fast-paced offense, but they would still limit Delaware in the paint. And it was something that killed them in that series we saw, the home-and-home, home, when Drexel and Delaware faced off back uh, in the winter. Yeah, I agree. I, I noticed, you know, uh, something interesting about the pace in that UNCW game where, you know, Delaware does play, like, with a really high pace, and they love just pushing it, uh, you know, pushing the ball up the floor. But it seemed like even though they, they were keeping up the pace, they were still settling for jump shots. They weren't really working – down low, they were not working it into the paint. And I, I thought the most interesting was Jasmine Dickey was settling for a lot of jumpers rather than I feel like she's really good just driving to the driving to the hoop and, and, and hitting floaters, you know, plays like that. Um, but I just feel like we didn't really see see much of that. And, you know, when you're not shooting well and then you got the other team just strapping up, locking up on defense, like it, that's hard to overcome uh, any deficit. And, I mean, against a team like Drexel, we knew that, you know, this was probably, you know, the second or third best team in the conference and, you know, Come tournament time, anything can happen. And I think we, you know, we just, that championship game was literally the epitome of, 
of March. You know, Delaware dominates the conference all year, you know, and they, they handled Drexel when they played him earlier in the year, but anything can happen. They go out there, they don't shoot well. And, you know, Drexel just, it was their day and then they come out victorious. I mean, chips didn't fall where, you know, in Delaware's favor. So it is what it is. I think the Drexel defense deserves a ton of credit. I mean, Hannah Nihil in that third quarter, she literally came out and had like, I think in the second half, she had three steals. She had like four or five steals in the whole game. She was insane. And she was doing more than just stealing the ball. And there are like tons of turnovers for Delaware. And the credit goes there to the Drexel defense. And then also during that game, I swear there were like 20 jump balls. It was jump ball after jump ball. And a lot of those, even though they don't show up on the stat sheet, a lot of those hurt Delaware like Delaware had possession and lost it because of the arrow or D- Drexel got the arrow back. So the next jump ball, they got it. And a lot of that was just because Delaware couldn't hang on to the ball. And the Drexel defense was swarming all game long. And the Delaware offense is no slouch. This is a really good offense. So credit to the Drexel defense. They came in, they played even better than they did in the two series, two games before they played pretty well defensively then, but they played really well here and limited Jasmine Dickey a ton. Didn't let her get open. Um, didn't, she was double teamed if she did have good looks like the, the defense did a great job and I think it's why Drexel won and then to add that really in the fourth quarter in the second half in particular Drexel scoring wise I mean you had Hannah Nihill in the third scored 10 points I believe it was four of five from the field made both of her three-point attempts she shot so really you know pulled Drexel you know Delaware I thought they were they I was thinking when they come into that second half they were a couple plays away from breaking that game open. You know, if you get a few baskets early on in that third quarter and able to hold Drexel's offense, I think it's a different story. But, you know, give, you got to give credit to Drexel. They defensively slowed down Delaware. And then in the third, Hannah Nihill got going offensively. She finished with 14 points. And then Keishana Washington, who, I mean, she put up 30-plus points in the game prior against JMU, led Drexel back, uh, led up Drexel on a comeback similar to the, the CAA title game against Delaware, against JMU, to get them to that point. Kishana Washington has 30 points against Delaware, including 10 points in the final quarter that helped solidify that Drexel title. But I'm looking at one thing now here real quick, actually, on Twitter as I pull this up and waiting for it to load. Um, the WNIT is the women, the, the National Invitational Tournament, I believe is the abbreviation. Um, it sounds like this was tweeted out yesterday. Yesterday? Yesterday, Yes. Um, by the WNIT's Twitter page. It says, out of at CAA Sports, next automatic qualifier for the 2021 postseason WNIT tournament is at Delaware Women's Basketball. So it sounds like Delaware will have some postseason play as a whole, the WIT being a WNIT, excuse me, being one of those tournaments. It's not the NCAA tournament, but we still see a lot of good teams. A lot of the teams that just for those fringe bracket player teams to not make it in, um, usually do make it there. I know a CAA normally will have a typically, they'll typically have, if a team's team's good, um, a team in the WNIT or the NIT. And that will definitely be the case as it seems for Delaware this year, the Blue Hens. So we will definitely keep you guys updated on whatever comes out of that in terms of Delaware women's basketball and what their hopes look like uh, for the NCAA tournament possibly and in the WNIT as we see here. Um, but now I want to transition over. It's going to be kind of a quicker episode as a whole. But to the men's side, we have no no news, no updates from Delaware men's basketball. Obviously, last week their season came to a close. But today was Selection Sunday, the first time we've had a Selection Sunday in over a year now. Last year, obviously getting postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. And there was a lot of interesting matchups, I would say, 
in this um, this selection Sunday this year. I want to ask you guys this. What are some interesting matchups you guys are looking for? Give me, say, your top three, top four. We can just sit and chat about some interesting matchups that you guys see in the first round of the uh, NCAA tournament for the men's side as it starts up about later in the week. Yeah, I, you know, I was looking at the bracket, and I feel like not only is there interesting matchups this first round, but come that second round, that round of 32, there's going to be some really interesting matchups, I feel like, if certain games, you know, fall – uh, the way that I assume they will, but, you know, it's March Madness, anything can happen. But for the first round, um, you know, one of the games, I think, probably the the one game that does catch my eye, um, just because I feel like it's, I have no idea who's going to win, is uh, UConn and Maryland. Um, I just think UConn, they've been solid all year. You know, UConn, they used to have, like, such a, like, story program, and then I feel like they definitely fell off for, like, probably, you know, five to ten years. But now it's starting to feel like they – they're getting back to building something special in UConn. And I know they're led by James Book Knight, and, and he's uh, just – he's one of those, like, college basketball guys that I feel like he's one of those players that March, I feel like, it is the perfect time for the, for him to be a breakout candidate and carry uh, carry UConn, you know, to – I mean, I mean they could go on a run. They're, they're certainly built, you know, to, to make a run. Plus, they're in the Big East. They've had to face, you know, Creighton and Villanova. And, they've you know, they've been tested already this year. Um, and then Maryland, I mean, Maryland, they had to run the gauntlet of the Big Ten. I mean, Big Ten, arguably the best conference in, in all of college basketball. And I mean, they just played Michigan in the Big Ten uh, tournament the other day. And I, I was watching the game. And I mean, for the first like 30 minutes of the game, they were in like complete control for, for the most part. Or not maybe not the first 30 minutes, but like the first half, like they were up by 12 at one point. And I mean, Michigan's, you know, top three team in the country. So uh, Maryland, they're, they're definitely battle tested. You know, they had to run the gauntlet of the Big Ten this year. Um, so that I would say is is one of these one of those games that just sticks out to me just because it's that eight nine matchup. You know, you got a guard from UConn and Book Knight that's looking to take over. And then you also got Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year and Daryl Marcel for Maryland. I just feel like that that matchup. I honestly, I feel like you could flip a coin and you you know you'd have a better chance of picking the picking the winner. Yeah, one matchup that intrigues me a lot, and it's a lot because of whoever wins moves on to face Michigan, assuming they win. Um, is St. Bonaventure and LSU. I feel like both of these teams kind of got underseeded. Um, LSU had a great finish to the season. They almost beat Alabama today. And St. Bonaventure won the A-10, and the A-10 is no joke of a conference. So I think both of these teams have potential to beat Michigan. And as for the matchup itself, I'm really interested because LSU does not play defense. They are bad defensively, but they're carried by uh, Cam Thomas, who can score on a win whenever he wants to. So I'm 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 wondering if they will play like the LSU that played in the SEC tourney or if they'll play like the LSU that lost to St. Louis earlier in the season, another A-10 team who didn't even make the tourney. So I feel like that's a really interesting matchup. And then the winner of that takes on Michigan. Isaiah Livers out. I feel like Michigan's the easiest one seed if you're an 8-9 seed. So I could see that be – an upset um, Michigan going out on the first weekend. I would not be surprised to see that no matter if LSU or St. Bonnie's wins. You know, give me, I, the matchup at the 12-5, personally, a 12-5 matchup, I always, you know, I always, those are always the most interesting one. I believe the stat I heard on the, the television today was uh, three of the four 12 seeds won, I guess, in the last tournament, so 2019. The, the, the matchup I'm interested to see is Villanova and Winthrop. If Villanova has Colin Gillespie, I don't think this is as much of a thing with me. 
but Villanova's out. He's out. He's their, their star scorer. He's their star player. He's out for the season uh, with the torn MCL. I'm really interested to see how Villanova can play without him because Winthrop comes in as no joke either. The 23 and one, they won their conference. So if you're Villanova, you're in a really tough spot because you're in a spot that historically we've seen a lot of 12 seeds win games and 12 seeds can make runs at the tournament. It's not like they're one and done. It's not like they're UMBC, you know, I believe a couple of years ago when they beat Virginia, it was, you know, I am very interested to see how Villanova can play without Gillespie and how Winthrop, you know, if they have momentum going in and what they can do um, on the, just as a whole defensive and offensively against the team in Villanova who's coming out of the big East. Who's one of the more premier teams, I guess you could say uh, in the conference. I actually had both of those, both of your guys' matchups. I literally had it written down um, because I was watching the A-10 championship today between VCU and St. Bonaventures. And I mean, they can straight up defend. Like they, I mean, VCU can come out and they can score. I mean, they're led by Bones Highland, the, the conference player of the year. And I mean, St. Bonnie's, they literally played amazing defense today. And they, every time it felt like VCU was getting ready to come back and, uh, you know, cut the deficit. I mean, they just, Set, you know, they just got set right in and then just stopped the comeback. Um, and, and I feel like that's important. You got to be able to do that in March. Um, but I, the, one of the other games I got is uh, Georgetown versus Colorado. Um, I, I don't have the seeds written down. Um, so, yeah, that's another 12 and 5 seed um, matchup. So, yeah, I, I just think Georgetown, I mean, well, Colorado, they're a great team. You know, they got McKinley right. And, but the Pac 12 has been a little weird this year. I feel like they're, they're a little underrated in terms of, I, they're, they're very top heavy conference. So um, I feel like the teams at the top are, are a little underrated, you know, in Oregon and Colorado, I feel like they can definitely make a run at things, but I just feel like Georgetown is hot right now. I mean, they, they cut, they were like 13 and 12 in the regular season and then they go and just win the big East tournament. And it was no joke. I mean, they killed Creighton in that, in that uh, championship match. I mean, they, they were up by 30 at one point. And I mean, at some points earlier in the season, it's like Georgetown looked like they were not good. Um, but, you know, Pat Ewing's just rallied his troops. And, they, I mean, they have the juice right now. And that's why I feel like come, you know, I mean, we saw it in the CAA tournament for the women. I mean, Drexel, they, they, they run the table and they just had the juice. And they, they, you know, they won. So I feel like right now, Georgetown, they're riding high off of winning the Big East. So I feel like that that's a really interesting matchup to me because, you know, they're going to come into this one thinking they can beat anyone. Um, and I feel like that spells trouble for Colorado because, I mean, a motivated team like Georgetown in March is, is very dangerous. Yeah, I had the Nova Winthrop matchup too, just like you guys did, because I think if Gillespie's out, Nova's going to struggle. And if they do win that game, I think they're going to struggle in the second round. Um, another matchup I had was Texas Tech and Utah State, 6-11. Utah State barely got in by the skin of their teeth here, and they avoided a playing game, which is good for them. Um, I know like last year, I was excited to see Sam Merrill play, and then the tournament got canceled. But this team's still pretty good, and they had a good finish to the season. And Texas Tech is kind of sliding. Um, Mac McClung is fun to watch, Georgetown transfer. But this is not the same Texas Tech team that uh, made it to the finals two years ago. Um, they don't rebound as well. And I don't think overall they're as good as they have been. So I think Utah State has a good shot in this game just because of how hot they are. And then looking forward, whoever wins that faces Arkansas. And Arkansas definitely has slid into the – end of the season a little. They had a tough loss to LSU in the semis, and they are kind of a new team um, to the tournament as a whole. They're not a regular. So I could see uh, Texas Tech or Utah State 
um, heading into the Sweet 16, assuming Arkansas beats Colgate. I'm going to go with my second matchup. Give me UCLA and St. – I almost said St. Mark's. Oof, that is not close. That is a Delaware high school. UCLA and Michigan State. I'm thinking about the Spartans here. But, I mean, I'm saying this solely because, I mean, it's two teams from two bigger conferences in the in the nation. I mean, you got Michigan State in the Big Ten. You got um, UCLA in the Pac-12. So, like, like, I mean, those are two high programs. I mean, normally for these play-in games, you see a lot of lower. You see a lot of, you know, got teams that are going to be 16 seeds, 15 seeds fighting. I mean, this year you have – you have UCLA, you have Tom Izzo on across the other side with Michigan State. I'm interested to see how, you know, both teams can play. And I and I want to see how UCLA can play in particular because they come off, you know, in that first round, you lose to Oregon State who goes on to, you know, win your tournament and uh, win your conference title. I mean, that's that'll be that'll be just interesting to see. And, you know, I think it's just been a, such a weird year. I've seen with North Carolina, Wisconsin, they're kind of lower than they normally might be in a normal year, normal tournament. Duke's not even in the tournament this year. So to see Tom Izzo playing in a playing game will be kind of weird, but I think I think it'll be kind of good. It'll be kind of fun to watch and just kind of enjoy some some Power Five basketball, you know, in a playing game. And you might not get that as much time as you would in a quote unquote normal year. I agree. I, I think that two of the best matchups I feel like of the first round is two of the playing games in the Michigan State and UCLA game, and then Wichita State and Drake. I mean, Drake they they're without their their star player and Roman Penn. I mean, he's out, but they still were able to, to, to get wins this year. And Wichita State's been a scrappy team. And I feel like uh, for me, not just that matchup, but then what would, I guess, technically be the first round uh, because the winner plays USC. So honestly, I have no idea who's going to win that Wichita State Drake game. Um, I think both teams could, both teams have the, they just have that like aura with them, you know, come March, you know, Drake played well all year. They, obviously they don't, uh, win their conference against Loyola Chicago and or conference, uh, championship, I should say. And then like Wichita State, I mean, they just a couple weeks ago, they, they didn't look like they were going to be playing in a playing game. I mean, they beat Houston pretty handily. And I mean, I, I just feel like that that American conference, they, they just get slept on a lot. And I feel like Wichita State is a lot better than people are giving them credit for. But whoever wins that game facing USC, I feel like USC, you know, they got a top draft prospect in Evan Mobley. So I feel like they – and I mean, he single-handedly like won them uh, a, one of the conference tournament games. I forget who they were playing the other night, but he just totally snapped. Um, and I feel like those teams, when they got the star players, like come March, you could they could run. But I feel like at the at this at the same time, like if you like Wichita State or Drake, whoever wins, they're going to be coming in with momentum because you know you you survived that play-in game. So I feel like they whoever wins that play-in game, I feel like could definitely be looking to play spoiler. And I feel like it just poses such a interesting matchup against USC because you really don't know what to expect. And then you got such star power in the matchup. Um, and then, you know, those teams like Wichita state, we've seen them make runs in the past. So, I mean, it could happen again. And I just feel like that playing game and their matchup in the first round, the, the winner's matchup in the first round is just an interesting spot to me because I feel like all three of those teams could, could make a solid run. Yeah. And that, that game, Joe is a good renewal of like a Missouri Valley conference rivalry when Wichita state left, uh, to kind of move up the ranks in the conferences. Um, but that used to be an old rivalry, and I'm glad that the committee let those te two teams in. Um, I was kind of worrying that Drake wouldn't make it. I think Drake got the last spot. Wichita State barely made it. So I'm glad to see them in because I do think they deserved it. And then um, for a third game, I'm going to go with another 8-9, this time Loyola, Chicago, and Georgia Tech. 
think this is a really interesting matchup. Um, just to look ahead first, the winner plays Illinois. Frankly, I don't see either of them being Illinois. I don't see either team stopping Coburn. But just the fact that these two teams alone are battling here is going to be interesting. Um, Loyola Chicago led by Cameron Crutwig. I remember watching him uh, way back when he was a freshman, I believe. He was great inside, and he's even better now. I watched a few of their games um, in the title title game versus Drake. He's a does a great job in the post, and this team defends. Like Porter Moser has his team defend hard. I think they're like top five in the country in defense, so they are no joke. And then Georgia Tech coming off the high of winning the ACC t- title, even though they only played a few games. Moses Wright, player of the year in the conference. Um, I do think they're a bit overrated, so uh, spoiler, I would pick Loyola Chicago here, but they, they came off a title. They're hot. They have Moses Wright, um, uh, new, new team to the tournament again, um, and I think it'll be an interesting matchup if it is a close game, and um, I'm excited to see either, either team move on, and if it is um, the Ramblers, that'll be interesting because you have two Illinois teams facing off in the next round, which – um, would also be an interesting matchup. You mentioned Illinois, and I'll plug this here. CAA-wise, the only team to make the tournament, as we predicted, is Drexel. They got the auto bid on the men's side. They will be playing the number one seeded Illinois Minutemen. Um, I, I'll ask you guys this here. Any shot, you know, any shot James Butler, Cameron, Winter, and crew can pull off the, the UMBC-type upset over the weekend? I just want to hear your thoughts on this. I don't think so, and honestly, if I – I was Illinois. I know they got star power, but I don't think anybody can stop Kofi Coburn. So I feel like it's just going to be feed Kofi Coburn down low and just let him dominate because, I mean, there's just such a, like a physical, there's just such a physical mismatch with him. Like even when they play other teams in the big 10, let alone Drexel, I'm not trying to hate on Drexel because honestly, if Delaware had won the CAA, they'd be in this position. I wouldn't be necessarily crazy about it because Hey, I like Dylan Painter, but I just think Kofi Kofi Coburn's probably going to have his way with Dylan Painter. Uh, I don't think that this matchup is going to go well for Drexel, but, hey, I mean, they got it there. And and they they haven't been in the tournament in, like, 25 years or won the conference in, like, 25 years. So it's a nice accomplishment for them. But uh, I think their their run is going to end at the hands of Illinois. Yeah, I think this was about as poor as a matchup as they could have hoped for. Um, I was kind of surprised they weren't a 15 seed seeing as that's where most bracketologists had them. Uh, I feel like if they got matched up with like a Houston, like I don't love how Houston has been playing lately. Uh, they had a tough Memphis game. Houston on the two line. I felt like if Houston goes, goes cold, Quentin Grimes goes cold. That's a matchup that they can keep close. Uh, maybe like if Kansas was a two or if they played Alabama, like, but just looking at it, like Iowa, Illinois, Gonzaga, Baylor, those are all like really, really tough matchups. Um, even if it's like Michigan, I would be, um, I would think Drexel could keep that closer, but I just don't see a way they stop Coburn or Iota Sunmo. So uh, I, give me Illinois big in this, but I think Drexel, if they keep it close. That'll be fun to watch, but I, I, the second half, I don't see them keeping it close. Out of all the teams in the CAA, I mean, we talked about Drexel a lot throughout the year. I mean, they're just a team that, you look at them on paper and that we thought they were a lot better than they were, you know, that they should have been, they, sh- they should have been, I think a better team than they played in the regular season. I know Connor was high on them uh, in the postseason. He turned out to be right. I agree with you guys entirely though. Cameron Winter, James Butler, definitely TJ Bickerstaff. You keep naming them. Not going to be enough for Illinois. We're not going to see a UMBC type upset there. Um, 
Last thing before I let you guys go and we kind of wrap this up, I want to ask you guys about just this COVID side of things. I mean, you have these four teams, you know, these four alternate teams being able to possibly play in the tournament in case a team goes out. What are your guys' just initial thoughts and reactions to it? And I don't know. I, I'm not a fan of it because, like, I don't like to the the option just, like, plugging in a team, like, almost – like, I don't, I don't know. I just don't like that. I feel like it should be, like, how the conference tournaments were. And it's like, if you get COVID – like, sorry, you're out. Because I feel like, I mean, it's March Madness. Like, could you imagine if, if Gonzaga got COVID before this matchup? And then and it's like, oh, 16 seeds going forward. Like, I need to, it, dude, we haven't had March Madness in over a year. I need it to be as chaotic as possible. I don't need some team. I mean, it would be crazy if a team's picked off of the street and plugged into the bracket. I mean, that'd be crazy too. But I don't want to see that. I want to see teams advance. I want to see a 16 seed go to the, you know, Sweet 16 or something. I mean, that'd be crazy. So I'm not a fan of having the, the backup teams. I mean, you might, they might as well just take those teams and like put them in the NIT or one of those other invitational tournaments. I feel like that'd be better off. But I mean, to almost like have a call to the bullpen for another team to just hop in as like a 12 seed, uh, that just seems a little strange to me. Um, so, yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, I don't like it either. I, I just don't think it's a good decision by the NCAA, just plugging and playing the team. I know they like the deadline's Tuesday, then it locks, but still, like, you're leaving teams in limbo as to what they do in the NIT or whatever. And also, I don't think it's the best for, like, COVID safety or if you're just going to bring them down late, all that stuff. Not sure how that's going to work out. So I'm not in love with it. And then just to touch on two of the teams that got snubbed, uh, well, three of the teams, I was surprised Louisville, Louisville – got snubbed but I get why uh Colorado State I feel like they were a good team in the Mountain West and I guess the Mountain West just wasn't good enough for them to get in Boise State kind of dropped off at the end of the year um San Diego State didn't end up being as good as they are sometimes uh I really think St. Louis got snubbed they're not even the first team out third team out I like the A-10 conference I know they didn't show well in the tourney they had a win over LSU early in the season and they played decent all season um, I'm looking at like Syracuse. Like I don't like the Syracuse. Pl- Syracuse doesn't even have a playing game. I don't think they should have been in because um, the ACC hasn't been good this year. But we see Syracuse getting in at an 11 seed, surprisingly to many. So I'm not loving that. And uh, especially with like Michigan State playing a playing game, they beat three top five teams. Michigan State is a good team. They played in the Big Ten, but you have them playing in the first weekend against UCLA and Syracuse gets that by doesn't make sense to me. So I'm not quite loving the bubble this year. And I do not like the, um, the in limbo of the first four out teams. You know, I agree with Joe, you know, I, I don't like it that much, but why not? Like if a team gets COVID that's, a, that's on you. That's like, that's on you. You gotta, you gotta make, we gotta make your team be, be in shape. And when you saw Delaware women's basketball didn't miss a game this year, I mean, that would be that. I, I agree with you, Joe. I think it would be awesome to see a 16 seed make it to like the final four. Just you know, you could put an asterisk next to it, whatever you want to do. I'm sure the NCAA would do that in a heartbeat. But you know, I feel like it'd just be cool to see. You know, we were just talking about Drexel. Illinois gets COVID. You know, tomorrow, and <laughs> Drexel goes on this magical, you know, Elite Eight Final Four run. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, personally, I think it's. You know, I think it's just weird. Um, obviously, it kind of does add to that, you know, whole COVID aspect to the uh, tournament and does make it interesting to see how it'll play out. And I guess it puts pressure on these teams and these players and coaching staffs to be like, look, you have to like you have to be on your game. You cannot be doing dumb stuff right now. But we will wait and see how that turns out. I think it will definitely be interesting to see how teams can control it. But 
With that in mind, that is really all we have today here with the sports crew of the Hens Half Court podcast. We are streaming our episodes as normal on major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Anchor. You can also find updates and links to our episodes on the UD Reviews website, which is www.udreview.com. That is one word, as well as the UD Reviews Twitter page, which is at UD Review as well, one word as well. And as I said, that's all we got for this episode. We will continue to have content, whether it be Delaware women's basketball, if they do, as they possibly march on to some sort of uh, postseason tournament, as well as just general coverage of, you know, we have the men's tournament going on starting up next week or this upcoming week. Even some maybe some throwing some NBA talk talk there. I know all three of us have really enjoyed doing this podcast throughout this whole winter and into the early parts of spring, and we would love to keep it going. But as I said, that's all we got for this week. And uh, myself, Connor, and Joe will talk to you all on the flip side. <laughs>